0: Hello, and welcome to this month's podcast. This is Dean Hess, Editor of Respiratory Care, along with Sarah Moore. This month, we are pleased to publish the papers from the 49th Respiratory Care Journal Conference entitled, The Critically Ill Patient. We are grateful to Doctors Neil McIntyre and Shannon Carson for co-chairing this conference. Sarah, let's get started with our first paper.
1: We kick off this issue with a paper by Carson, Definitions and Epidemiology of the Chronically Critically Ill. Patients who are chronically critically ill constitute 5-10% of patients with acute respiratory failure but demand a disproportionate share of ICU resources. Epidemiologic studies and clinical trials require definitions for enrollment, and a uniform definition would be ideal to allow comparisons between studies. While a consensus definition exists, 21 or more consecutive days of mechanical ventilation for 6 hours or more per day, Many study designs have required alternative definitions that include requirement for a tracheostomy, a different period of mechanical ventilation, or admission to a weaning facility. Regardless of definition, studies have indicated that the incidence of chronic critical illness has doubled in recent decades and may double again in the next decade. The overall one-year survival for chronically critically ill patients is between 40 and 50%, depending on the cohort studied. New clinical prediction rules have been developed to better identify patients who are high risk and low risk of death. These models could be enhanced by data on functional outcomes for survivors. The healthcare system has been adapting to the increase in chronic critical illness by increasing critical beds in short-term and long-term acute care hospitals, but continued monitoring of resources will be necessary since the prevalence of chronic critical illness is expected to increase further.
0: Carson appropriately kicks off this issue with a paper on definitions and epidemiology of the chronically critically ill patient. Care of these patients is clinically important as such patients constitute 5 to 10 percent of patients with acute respiratory failure but demand a disproportionate share of ICU resources. It is interesting that the healthcare system has been adapting to the increase in the number of patients with chronic critical illness by increasing hospital beds to a accommodate these patients. The expansion of the numbers of patients with chronic critical illness is driven by patient preferences, surrogate decision-maker input, societal expectations, and provider family communication.
1: Next, we have the paper by Cox entitled, Persistent Systemic Inflammation in Chronic Critical Illness. Chronic critical illness is an important clinical phenomenon that all critical care and respiratory therapists should recognize. Chronic critical illness is a relatively common clinical entity and will continue to increase in incidence during the coming decade. Part of the expansion of the numbers of chronic critical illness patients is likely driven by patient preferences, surrogate decision maker input, societal expectations, and provider family communication. However, the population is aging and more susceptible to critical illness with greater age. It's worth considering what factors may predispose patients to slower recovery or death in the context of critical illness. There is evidence that the host systemic inflammatory response may mediate the course of critical illness, possibly contributing to the development of chronic critical illness. This review will review these data and highlight potential targets for future interventions designed to address this chronic inflammation.
0: There is evidence that the host's systemic inflammatory response may mediate the course of critical illness, possibly contributing to the development of chronic critical illness. Thus, chronic critical illness is an inflammatory state. Cox reviews these data and highlights potential targets for future interventions designed to address this chronic inflammation.
1: Avenues of care and related costs for the chronically critically ill is addressed by Donahue. The chronically critically ill patient population is characterized by a prolonged need for high-cost medical interventions, a high one-year mortality rate, and a very high demand for post-acute care services. The best characterized chronically critically ill patient population is patients on prolonged mechanical ventilation. This review will focus on the current knowledge of costs and care venues for the care of this patient population. The prolonged mechanical ventilation population suffers from a prolonged length of acute care hospital stay. Median hospital costs three to four times the cost of short-term ventilator patients, frequent care venue changes during the course of illness, a small likelihood of discharge to the home environment, yet a hospital mortality that does not differ significantly from the short-term ventilated patient group. The prolonged mechanical ventilation population is projected to double in size by the year 2020 given the dramatic comparative acute care cost burden of patients with prolonged mechanical ventilation the societal implications for managing both the care burden and the costs of care are staggering strategies to improve the efficiency in health care for this patient population will be essential Limitations to the existing care models in the United States will be identified with a focus on our current research limitations, which limit healthcare providers and administrators in providing patient focused care for this patient population.
0: Donahue addresses important issues related to the current venues of care and related costs for patients with chronic critical illness. Cost is particularly important given that this population of patients costs three to four times that of short-term ventilator patients. Because the population of patients with prolonged mechanical ventilation is projected to double by the year 2020, strategies to improve the efficiency and health care for this patient population will be essential.
1: The next paper is Long-Term Mechanical Ventilation Management Strategies by White. This paper reviews management strategies for patients undergoing prolonged mechanical ventilation. Topics covered include how to identify and correct barriers to weaning, the systematic approach to weaning trials, when to cease weaning trials and proceed with life support, managing the tracheostomy tube during prolonged mechanical ventilation, and finally, how to select a suitable mechanical ventilator for prolonged mechanical ventilation.
0: White reviews a number of important management strategies for patients undergoing prolonged mechanical ventilation. He provides insights into the clinically challenging topics related to identifying and correcting barriers to weaning, a systematic approach to weaning trials, and the difficult topic of when to proceed with lifelong support. He also discusses management of the tracheostomy tube and how to select a suitable ventilator for prolonged mechanical ventilation.
1: The paper, The Growing Role of Non-Invasive Ventilation in Patients Requiring Prolonged Mechanical Ventilation, is by Hess. For many patients with chronic respiratory failure requiring ventilator support, NIV is preferable to invasive support by tracheostomy. Currently available evidence does not support the use of nocturnal NIV in unselected patients with stable COPD. Several European studies have reported benefit for high-intensity NIV, in which setting of inspiratory pressure and respiratory rate are selected to achieve normocapnia. There have also been studies reporting benefit for the use of NIV as an adjunct to exercise training. NIV may be useful as an adjunct to airway clearance techniques in patients with cystic fibrosis. Accumulating evidence supports the use of NIV in patients with obesity hypoventilation syndrome. There is considerable observational evidence supporting the use of NIV in patients with chronic respiratory failure related to neuromuscular disease, and one randomized controlled trial reported that the use of NIV was life prolonging in patients with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. A variety of interfaces can be used to provide NIV in patients with stable chronic respiratory failure. The mouthpiece is an interface that is unique in this patient population and has been used with success in patients with neuromuscular disease. Bi-level pressure ventilators are commonly used for NIV, although there are now a new generation of intermediate ventilators that are portable, have a long battery life, and can be used for NIV and invasive applications. Pressure support ventilation, pressure controlled ventilation, and volume controlled ventilation have been used successfully for chronic applications of NIV. New modes have recently become available, but their benefits are awaiting evidence to support their widespread use. The success of NIV in a given patient population depends on selection of an appropriate patient, selection of an appropriate interface, selection of an appropriate ventilator and ventilator settings, the skills of the clinician, the motivation of the patient, and the support of the family.
0: For many patients with chronic respiratory failure requiring ventilator support, non-invasive ventilation is preferable to invasive support by tracheostomy. In this paper, I discuss the available evidence for the use of nocturnal non-invasive ventilation in patients with stable COPD, its use in addition to airway clearance techniques in patients with cystic fibrosis, its use in patients with obesity hypoventilation syndrome, and its use in patients with chronic respiratory failure related to neuromuscular disease. I go on to discuss the selection of interfaces and ventilators to provide NIV in patients with stable chronic respiratory failure.
1: Long-term mechanical ventilation in the home in the United States is by King. Patients requiring prolonged mechanical ventilation are rapidly increasing in number. Improved ICU care has resulted in many patients surviving acute respiratory failure to require prolonged mechanical ventilation during convalescence. Also, mechanical ventilation is increasingly used as a therapeutic option for patients with symptomatic, chronic hypoventilation, with an increased effort to predict nocturnal hypoventilation to initiate ventilation earlier. There are continued efforts by ventilator manufacturers to improve home ventilators. These factors point to a likely increase in the number of patients receiving home mechanical ventilation in the United States. Unfortunately, there are no comprehensive databases or national registry of home ventilator patients, and therefore the number of home ventilator patients is unknown. There are real challenges providing mechanical ventilation in the home, which include caregiver training, adequacy of respiratory care, and reimbursement.
0: Patients requiring prolonged mechanical ventilation are rapidly increasing in number. This includes not only patients receiving non-invasive ventilation, but also patients receiving invasive support by tracheostomy. Unfortunately, the number of home ventilator patients is unknown, and thus the extent of the problem is unknown. As discussed by King, there are continued efforts by ventilator manufacturers to improve home ventilators, but there remain many challenges to providing mechanical ventilation in the home, not the least of which includes caregiver training, adequacy of respiratory care, and reimbursement.
1: Critical illness neuromyopathy and the role of physical therapy and rehabilitation in critically ill patients is by FAN. Neuromuscular complications of critical illness are common and can be severe and persistent, with substantial impairment in physical function and long-term quality of life. While the etiology of ICU-acquired weakness is multifactorial, both direct and indirect complications of critical illness contribute to it. ICU-acquired weakness is often difficult to diagnose clinically during the acute phase of critical illness due to the frequent use of deep sedation, encephalopathy, and delirium, which impair physical examination for patient strength. Despite its limitations, physical examination is the starting point for identification of ICU-acquired weakness in the cooperative patient. Given the relative cost, invasiveness, and need for expertise, electrophysiological testing and or muscle biopsy may be reserved for weak patients, with slower-than-expected improvement on serial clinical examination. Currently, there are limited interventions to prevent or treat ICU-acquired weakness, with tight glycemic control having the greatest supporting evidence. There is a paucity of clinical trials evaluating the specific role of early rehabilitation in the chronic critically ill. However, a number of studies support the benefit of intensive rehabilitation in patients receiving chronic mechanical ventilation. Furthermore emerging data demonstrate the safety feasibility and potential benefit of early mobility in critically ill patients with the need for multicenter randomized trials to evaluate potential short and long-term benefits of early mobility including the potential to prevent the need for prolonged mechanical ventilation and or the development of chronic critical illness and other novel treatments on patient's muscle strength physical function quality of life and resource utilization. Finally, the barriers, feasibility, and efficacy of early mobility in both medical and other ICUs, as well as in chronic critically ill, have not been formally evaluated and require exploration in future clinical trials.
0: Many clinicians working in critical care do not appreciate that neuromuscular complications of critical illness are common, can be severe and persistent, and can have substantial impairment in physical function and long-term quality of life. As pointed out by Fan, Emerging data demonstrate the safety, feasibility, and benefit of early mobility in critically ill patients. Increasingly, this will impact the care of mechanically ventilated patients in the ICU and has the potential to affect long-term outcomes.
1: Our next paper is Brain Dysfunction in Patients with Chronic Critical Illness by Girard. Critically ill patients frequently experience acute brain dysfunction in the form of coma or delirium, both of which are common during acute and chronic critical illness. These manifestations of brain dysfunction are associated with numerous adverse outcomes during acute critical illness, including prolonged hospitalization, increased health care costs, and increased mortality. The prognosis of patients with chronic critical illness and coma or delirium has not yet been thoroughly studied, but preliminary studies suggest this population is at high risk for detrimental outcomes associated with acute brain dysfunction. Additionally, a high percentage of patients who survive acute or chronic critical illness suffer from long-term brain dysfunction, which manifests primarily as memory deficits and executive dysfunction, and is predicted by brain dysfunction in the ICU. Interventions directed at reducing the burden of brain dysfunction during critical illness have shown promise in studies of patients with acute critical illness, but these therapies have yet to be studied during chronic critical illness. Thus, multicenter randomized trials are needed to determine which interventions are most effective for such patients. Until data are available, management strategies that have been proven beneficial during acute critical illness, such as reduction of sedative exposure, especially to benzodiazepines, and early use of physical and occupational therapy, should be employed during the treatment of patients with chronic critical illness.
0: Coma and delirium are common in patients with acute illness and those with chronic critical illness. As described by Gerard, Preliminary studies suggest that patients with chronic critical illness are at high risk for detrimental outcomes associated with acute brain dysfunction. Reduction of sedative exposure, especially to benzodiazepines, and early use of physical and occupational therapy should be employed during the treatment of patients with chronic critical illness to address this problem.
1: Metabolic and nutrition support in chronic critical illness syndrome is addressed by Schulman and Mechanic. Technological innovations in the ICU have led to artificially prolonged life with an associated cost. Chronic critical illness occurs in patients with prolonged mechanical ventilation and allostatic overload and is associated with a discrete and consistent metabolic syndrome. Metabolic interventions are extrapolated from clinical critical care research, scientific theory, and years of chronic critical illness patient care experience. Intensive metabolic support is a multi-targeted approach consisting of tight glycemic control with intensive insulin therapy, early and adequate nutrition therapy, nutritional pharmacology, management of metabolic bone disease, and meticulous attention to other endocrine and metabolic derangements. Ideally, intensive metabolic support should be under the supervision of a metabolic support consultative team. Further research specifically focused on the population of patients with chronic critical illness is needed to validate this current approach.
0: Intensive metabolic support is a multifaceted approach consisting of tight glycemic control, early and adequate nutrition therapy, nutritional pharmacology, management of metabolic bone disease, and meticulous attention to other endocrine metabolic derangements. This approach is quite involved and should ideally be under the supervision of a metabolic support consultative team who can attend to the details of this approach.
1: Infections and the compromised immune status in the chronically critically ill patient prevention strategies is by Cabrera Cancio. An estimated 2-3% to of all hospitalized patients become critically ill. These patients are in a stage of relative immune exhaustion, which cripples their response to infections. Patients are sicker, have many comorbidities, and undergo complex procedures. This clinical picture, combined with increasing technologies and improved survival, presents unique challenges and demands a high level of services and expertise over a prolonged period of time. Long-term acute care hospitals provide these services And the migration of chronically critically ill patients to these institutions facilitates defining and quantifying the spectrum of disease and how best to manage them. The prevalence of multidrug-resistant organism colonization and infection upon arrival to long-term acute care hospitals is high. Admission screening and appropriate isolation and infection control practices can prevent transmission of these organisms. The implementation of ventilator-associated pneumonia prevention protocols... Bloodstream infection prevention protocols and minimizing fully urinary catheter use can decrease hospital-acquired infection rates and keep them low. In addition, specific attention is required for environmental services and surface and equipment cleaning. A well-organized infection control program and an antimicrobial stewardship program have become indispensable to achieve these goals. All of these key principles and recommendations are also relevant to the chronically critically ill patient in acute care hospital ICUs and step-down units.
0: Cabrera Cancio addresses issues related to infections and the compromised immune status in the patient with chronic critical illness. Not surprising, there is a high prevalence of multi resistant organism colonization and infection upon arrival to long-term acute care hospitals. The implementation of ventilator-associated pneumonia prevention protocols, bloodstream infection prevention protocols, and minimizing urinary catheter use can decrease the infection rates. Specific attention is required related to environmental services and surface and equipment cleaning. Although these strategies are usually considered in acutely ill patients, they are also important to the care of patients with chronic critical illness.
1: Next, we have the paper by Peterson Carmichael and Chivitz, The Chronically Critically Ill Patient, Pediatric Considerations. Whether defined as chronically critically ill, long-term mechanical ventilator dependent, or otherwise chronically medically supported, or medically fragile, a population of infants and children with chronic illness clearly exists. Infants and children with chronic health care needs are at an increased risk for physical, developmental, behavioral, and or emotional conditions and generally require health care services of a type or amount beyond that of a general pediatric or adult population. This article will focus on the specific management and psychosocial needs associated with the health care of this subgroup of infants and children with chronic illness. Attention will be paid to defining the population, describing trends over time, reviewing their special needs, and discussing outcomes. Increased focus and an increasing quantity of resources for this subgroup of infants and children are needed as the number of such pediatric patients continues to grow.
0: Chronic critical illness is not limited to adults. Infants and children with chronic healthcare needs are at increased risk for physical, developmental, behavioral, and or emotional conditions and generally require healthcare services of a type or amount beyond that of the general pediatric, or adult population. The paper by Peterson, Carmichael, and Chavetz addresses the specific management and psychological needs associated with the health care of infants and children with chronic critical illness.
1: Integration of palliative care in chronic critical illness management is by Nelson and Hope. Palliative care is an essential component of comprehensive care for all patients with chronic critical illness, including those receiving restorative or life-sustaining therapies. Core elements include alleviation of symptom distress, communication about care goals, alignment of treatment with the patient's values and preferences, transitional planning, and family support. The authors address strategies for assessment and management of symptoms, including pain, dyspnea, and depression, and for assisting patients to communicate while endotracheally intubated. Also discussed are approaches to optimize communication among clinicians, patients, and families about care goals. Challenges for supporting families and planning for transitions between care settings are identified while the value of interdisciplinary input is emphasized. The authors review consultative and integrative models for integrating palliative care and restorative critical care. Finally, they highlight key ethical issues that arise in the care of chronically critically ill patients and their families.
0: As discussed by Nelson and Hope, palliative care is an essential component of comprehensive care for all patients with chronic critical illness. This is important not only for the patient, but also the patient's family. For example, it is important to support families during transitions between care settings. These authors nicely cover the key ethical issues that arise in the care of patients with chronic critical illness.
1: Research needs and strategies to establish best practices and cost-effective models for chronic critical illness is by Carson. Past research in chronic critical illness has been effective in defining the population and identifying unique aspects of their outcomes and resource needs, but there has been little research focused on interventions to improve outcomes. This article discusses some research priorities that could have immediate impact on patient outcomes. General topics include prevention or limiting the incidence of chronic critical illness, specific topics related to patient management such as interventions for weaning, rehabilitation, nutrition or infections, and methods to enhance communication and end-of-life care. In addition to specific patient management interventions, further comparative effectiveness research on care settings is indicated, considering the expected growth in patient population and their substantial resource needs.
0: The research needs and strategies to establish best practices and cost-effective models for chronic critical illness are presented by Carson. In addition to specific patient management interventions, further comparative effectiveness research on care settings is indicated, considering the expected growth in this patient population and their substantial resource needs.
1: We wrap up this issue with the conference summary by McIntyre, who aptly concludes that management of the CCI population requires a special combination of intensive care and rehabilitative skills.
0: To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues. Oh, 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 oh Oh, mm-hmm.